Welcome to Wisco Dots. Yeah, I'm your host, the one, the only, the Conesy with the most, and I am joined by a couple of wonderful people here today. What's going on, everyone? Hey, everybody. This is Justin, the Meeple's champion. Hey, and this is Suzanne. And this is episode 96 of the Wisco Dice Tabletop Gaming Podcast. Today is September 7th, 2022. And on today's episode, we're going to dive right into our Gen Con recap. Of course, before that, we have our amazing interview with Keith from Thunderworks Games previewing the new game that's on Kickstarter right now, Dawn of Olos. We recommend that you go back it right now, pause the podcast, go to our website, click the link, back that game right now. But first, before we, you know, once you've backed that game, now come back, we've unpaused it, now we're going to dive into the games that we have been playing. So that first game that we've been playing uh, is a game that Suzanne and I picked up at Gen Con largely on a whim and due to massive amounts of pre-Gen Con podcasts that were talking about games they were excited about, got us a little pumped up, and then the sales guy at the booth really pumped us up for this game, and that is Brazil Imperial. This game is from Portal Games and has a playtime, eh, I don't know, we found it about 120 minutes in our first play, but they say it should be around 100 minutes for one to four players. We need a few more plays before we know for sure. This game is a 4X building game that is set in Brazil, someplace between the 16th and 19th centuries. Uh, you have a, a number of different ways based on player count that you're going to set up the modular map. Uh, and then the game uses a combination of worker placement, area majority, and then individual asymmetric powers to all kind of come together to build this game and, and give it some uniqueness. Um, so each player basically in the game itself takes on the role of one of these great monarchs um, that had influence in this region of the world during the rough time settings when it, the, the game takes place. Uh, and then you need to balance constructing buildings and managing your resources and exploring the territories and lands around you while recruiting an army and conquering your opponents and growing your influence and, you know, conquering your opponents. My wife has here written in the, in the notes, protect your interests uh -huh, by stomping your opponents is really what she means there. <laughs> It, it definitely the the monarch that you you select and you get to pick. I think uh, most of the color player colors get to pick two. Um, I think there's one player color that gets picked from three. These monarchs have various. There, it's very asymmetric and it's you know loosely based around what these these monarchs did as far as strengths and and weaknesses, you know, at least from a historical view. Uh, but some are good at combat, some are good at exploration, some are good at science. It, it, so it kind of helps as you pick the pick your starting monarch, kind of gives you some guidance and maybe a little bit of a direction, should you know enough about the game and how to play it and build tactics to uh, for the game to make all those kind of decisions. As it was, I don't think in Susanna Mai's play, so far, we've kind of gotten that deep a level of strategy. But there's a lot going on in this game. A lot of really cool things that are going on. I really like the fact that there were asymmetric abilities on these monarchs. I, I think that really helps give the game some some flair. I don't necessarily... I think a game like this, it doesn't necessarily... Um, 
do well if it if everybody was exactly the same every single play. I think it would kind of you 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 would just figure out what the optimized things are to do. So having that asymmetric abilities gives you uh, a lot of player differences in what they might want to try to do early in the game. Modular game board, uh, particularly I mentioned it, it goes with the different player counts was awesome. I like that. There are multiple board organizations and you can just set up like random board space. To, uh, I, I think there were instructions for that as well, but I like I like the fact that it was modular. You can build it. Honestly, I, I will say we played it once, so we haven't played. It hasn't made it back to the table since we, we played it right away at Gen Con, but it did not make it back to the table post Gen Con, and just struggling to get it back to the table because I'm I just wasn't as excited after we played it that first time. It felt very much like a lighter version of Sid Meier's Civilization from FFG, which also is a game that I know a lot of people love. I like it. It was a little deeper of a game, but I have the same... I love. I also walk away after I play that game with some of that same kind of feeling. I just wasn't completely blown away by the, the game experience. I really... It's just not enough of a Civ experience. It's just not deep enough, in, in my opinion. That said, we're definitely going to get it back to the table, I'm sure. But uh, that's, those are kind of my initial thoughts on it. Uh, again, it's only after one play, so take my initial thoughts with a grain of salt. But Suzanne, what did you think about this? I think I enjoyed this game slightly more than you did. It was definitely a lighter game. But when we were playing it, we were both very tired that day. And we were able to make it through the game and make it through the game and understand it. So I feel like this is be a great game for game nights here when we have people over and we're not looking for a heavier game and not looking for a game that's going to take an hour to explain and two or three times as long to play. So there is a medium amount of player interaction, I'd say, with it. Um, I do like heavy player interaction games. So it's, you know, you kind of do your own thing and some things that other players are doing will impact you. You might be able to get the art piece you want or it might not, they might attack you when you're not ready for it. Uh, so I think it's um, a very nice game. I can see why people are attracted to it. It is definitely not at the top of my list for games to pull out when it's just Konzi and I here, but game night game days i think it's a fine game if you have a family and you're looking for a family game too i think it would actually be a nice family game to just add you know maybe something a little different a civilization game that's a little different uh to your repertoire that way so i'm looking forward to trying it again and seeing what happens I, I think you do have a point there with the getting it to game night. I think that's actually what we really need to do with it. And maybe I need to make an extra point to getting it out at one of those game nights, particularly where we can get a third or a fourth player playing on it. I think it may be more interesting at a larger player count than two, because that might be something that I'm all my, all my plays of Sid Meier's Civilization are also at two players, and that I think there's just something maybe a little bit missing because you don't have that extra player table talk about, 
oh, come on, attack them, or oh, no, 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 you know, or whatever, that kind of alliance, alliances kind of table talk that kind of come, seems to come into these types of games and makes them a little more special. Where would you say this game falls on the, you know, Euro game versus true 4X Civ building game? It it seems like it has some Euro elements, maybe. So is it mostly area control and combat or like half and half? Would you? I, I really compare this to Sid Meier's Civilization from FFG. Not, I don't, not the reprinted version, the version that originally came out. I haven't mostly because I haven't played the reprinted version, the, the the updated version, and that was mostly Euro and very minimally. You know, there's no dice for resolving anything or anything like that. It's all card driven or resource driven. Like you're doing things, you're building buildings that are then going to generate you resources that are then going to pay for units, uh, military units, and things that you can then use to go scout out the board and take over and attack things and the whole time you're you're working towards trying to accomplish whatever goals are uh, are there for the game and when whoever can do that first is typically the winner that's generally the overall feel for the game and the way it works so it's definitely more on the on the what i would consider a euro 4x experience and less like the hey, uh, all my spaceships just moved into your territory. Now I'm going to roll a bucket of dice, and then you're going to roll a bucket of dice, and we'll see who who survives. Gotcha. So why don't you go ahead and tell us about Boon Lake, uh, Justin? Yeah, so the game I've been playing recently is Boon Lake. This is from Capstone Games and designer Alexander Pfister. Ooh. Yep, <laughs> got dropping the name. They list as 40 minutes per player for playtime. Can't comment too much on that. I haven't had very many plays of it yet. But Moon Lake is a Western theme Euro game where players are going to be exploring and settling new territory, building houses, settlements, managing your resources, and expanding your capabilities with uh, project cards. There is a lot going on in this game, and the complexity is pretty high. So uh, I would say expect that learning the rules is going to take a good chunk of time on your first play. Not that I'm saying that complexity is negative. I love a game that gives you lots of options and has all kinds of different mechanical puzzles to to solve. So in terms of gameplay, each turn you're gonna you're gonna choose an action tile and then you're gonna sail your ship down the river some distance depending on what tile you took. Each action tile is multifaceted and most of the tiles are going to let you play a card that's kind of you add to your tableau to increase your capabilities and give you some, you know, benefits and uh, efficiencies. And you're going to get an action. They, for example, settling a space on the game board, settling at one of the tiles that's out on the game board. And then the third part is that everybody gets an action that they can do, usually including the player whose uh, turn it is. So it makes it so that you're almost always going to have something to do on another player's turn and you're not sitting around with downtime. So I like that aspect of it. It has a little bit of, or maybe a lot bit of Maracaibo DNA in it. Your ships that you sail down the river eventually come back to the start of the river and sail down again in a loop. And that acts as the game clock. So that's pretty similar to 
how you progress along that chain of islands in Maracaibo. I like it when games have a sort of thematic and interactive way to have a game clock. So it's something that matches the theme of the game and isn't just, okay, it's the next round. It's built into the game. There's also some tiling in this game. So you kind of explore the different regions of this new territory. You might drop a tile that's you get to put cattle on later, or you might drop a tile that you're going to be able to settle with a settler, and then you're going to upgrade them to a house and then to a settlement. I should note uh, for Ben here that uh, on the player board, there's a lot of, well, some similarities with Terra Mystica. So when you take a piece off your player board, like a settler or a house, that's going to get you some income in the future. It, as it goes out onto the board, it you know reveals like an income icon that you get to get more income for putting it out. And then you're going to take that house or settler, upgrade a settler to a house and upgrade to a settlement. As those pieces come off your board, more income comes in. I know you're not a big fan of Western theme, but maybe that little bit of Terramiska in there might be enough to convince you to try it. I say you, you got <laughs> me on Fister. You got me on... Yeah. Terra Mystica almost like component uh, gameplay, but then you had to throw the Western theme on it. <laughs> it is interesting that uh, there are some aspects of the design, like art design of this game, that imply that it's not truly Western themed. There's some interesting stuff going on, and I think that the graphic designer has some secrets about the true theme of the game i'm I'm not really sure uh i've seen some mysterious comments from him on board game geek about it so there's not pure western maybe <laughs> well maybe we'll see what that happens in a future expansion yeah as far as my feelings on the game i really should say that i haven't played it enough to give a full opinion. I'm really liking it so far. I like Alexander Fister games. It has a feel of Maracaibo. It has a little bit of Great Western Trail in it. And there's a kind of unique quasi area control aspect where I'm going to try to cluster my buildings and cattle together to you know, earn more points from their adjacencies and stuff like that. Um, so it's got some new mechanics and, and a lot of familiar stuff too that uh, I'm really liking. Now, if we could just add a little steampunk, maybe open up a rift, open, have have a bunch of people go into a different different world. Oh, wait, I'm describing Malifaux. All right, so <laughs> that's enough being silly here. We'll definitely look forward to checking this game out with you, Justin, uh, at some future date. But in the meantime, uh, for links to the games that we discussed, uh, pictures and additional information, make sure you head over to wiscodice.com and catch those catch all of that extra information uh, right there at your fingertips in the meantime we're going to go ahead and take a break and when we come back we're going to be on the line at thunderworks games hq with the one the only keith who is owner and designer and uh the brains behind thunderworks games to talk about the new game that's on Kickstarter right now. And if you didn't pause before, now is a great time to pause the episode, head over to kickstarter.com, and back this game, Dawn of Ulos. It's a, it just looks amazing. It's a, it's a tiling economic game, but with gods and fantasy races. It's super crazy and wild. You'll find out more in just a moment. 
And we're back. We've been joined by Keith from Thunderworks Games here, as we talked about right before break. Keith, how is it going today? Good. How's it going? Thanks for having me. It's awesome. So, Thunderworks Games, it's Wisconsin-based, right? Yep, what yep. can you tell us about Thunderworks Games? What's, what's this company? What do you do? What, what, yeah, so Thunderworks Games was officially established in 2013. It, it was a one-man show for many years. Thunderworks is best known for uh, the game Role Player, the game of fantasy character creation. That's been out for a while. It has a few expansions. And then uh, probably our, our best-selling game is Cartographers, which is a, a map drawing game that, that uh, people have been enjoying, uh, especially over the last year or so through the pandemic because you can play it remotely. But uh, yeah, that's those are kind of the two big titles. And we've got some other fun and exciting things coming down the pipe. So Thunderworks is a small company out of uh, Madison, Wisconsin. There's three of us. You know, we've been working on uh, publishing uh, awesome board games for quite a few years. About half of them are my designs, and half of them are from uh, other designers uh, from the industry. And uh, yeah, we're just we're just kicking it over at Thunderworks. <laughs> so you've done a lot of games <laughs> that you've designed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you've published. What made you want to get into game design and publishing? Well, I mean, I've always been a gamer for sure. I was working in, uh, I, well, I worked in video. I worked in video games for 15 years as well, and you know, I just love gaming. And the kind of the inspiration to start uh, designing. I mean, I mean, I think this happens to a lot of people where they they just play a lot of games, and then they suddenly kind of know they they've played a lot of things, had a lot of experiences, know what they like and what they don't like. And the the barrier to entry for designing a board game is like ridiculously low right all you need is like a good idea a, a pencil and a piece of paper and you can start designing a board game you know me and some of my buddies uh we used to play games at our lunch hour every day and uh we just had this idea like well we make games video games all day long and we play these board games like how hard could it be to make our own board games you know kind of like the the uh you know if you don't know <laughs> everything seems really easy when you don't know the details right so we just started doing that and we kind of came up with a like an outline of a process and we were all kind of coming up with ideas and playtesting each other's stuff. The other the other two gentlemen ended up kind of losing interest after a little bit and uh but I, I kept going. I'm 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 tenacious like that. So uh Kickstarter was like a a thing. Like it was just kind of coming out and I had like bit just backed my first board, uh, card game project which was uh uh Glory to Rome which is actually one of my favorite card games of all time. But anyway, and I this new platform was coming out so now the the barrier to entry to getting into publishing was really low like oh there's like you can just present your idea and people will give you money and you can make this thing that sounds awesome we should do that so i just kind of went for it in a lot of ways there was a couple guys that were blogging uh, jamie stagmeyer and uh, james matthew out of milwaukee who were putting out these blogs and kind of doing these tell-alls of like you know what do you need to know to put a game on kickstarter and be successful so I just did a lot of reading, played a lot of games, and just started working on stuff. Um, you know, my first project that I was was designing was was much more ambitious than the initial design that I published. Uh, so, but I, eventually, I decided to kind of refocus and and focus on a small game and kind of uh, minimize the risks. You know, I, I've been in project management uh, for many years uh, in, in the world of video games, so I kind of it's in my blood in terms of like you know uh, assessing risk and and making sure that like uh, everything's organized and and everything's on track. So we we just decided to do it and it was just fun to work on my own stuff and friends were excited to be playtesting it and 
It was just very, very exciting. And, uh, you know, then I was hooked. You know, once once I ran my first Kickstarter and it was successful and I delivered it to the the backers. And then, you know, the question is, OK, what's next? Right. I'm always like, what the what's next kind of guy? So and then I was off to the races. So then, you know, I did a, a small game called Blend Off. And then Role Player was like the, the big game for me in terms of like having this uh, moment of spark of inspiration that uh could uh, that basically i built the, the you know thunderworks wouldn't be what it was today if that game didn't exist and i didn't have that that great idea that that one day so that's cool that's awesome so how many games that you designed going because you, you've designed and published a few how many games do you start designing and then they just never make it to that to that level uh it's it's actually pretty rare i know a lot of designers will work on multiple games at the same time and they'll you know kind of bounce between them i'm kind of like a i, I got one and i'm gonna focus on this thing until it gets to a point in which i'm really happy with and i think it's worth publishing but it has happened. So the first game that I ever designed uh, was I put on the shelf because I thought it was too ambitious in terms of production. Like I had never done miniatures before and that game had miniatures and it had like lots of components. And I was like, this is just, I, I don't know if I can handle this from a publisher's perspective. So I'll shelf this. And actually in, in the last uh, six months or whatever, I've, I've pulled that back off the shelf and I think I'm going to end up publishing that at some point. So that's exciting. Um, and that is a, a robot combat game, and the current name is called. Here's the scoop, right? <laughs> it's a uh, uh, the the current name is called uh, Arsenal, but um, we'll see. I, I might end up changing it uh, just because of the soccer team. <laughs> so, yeah. well, but and and there has been a couple other ones. I worked on a dice game for a long time that was kind of like a. Uh, there was just two problems I just couldn't fix. Um, and I've and I just put it on the shelf, and I bring it out every once in a while to see if like I have new, a new revelation as to like how I could fix that problem. But um, that one uh, hit, you know, ended up on the shelf and is still unpublished. Published, but um, most of the stuff I work on, you know, role player, like I focused on that until it came out, and then you know the expansions as well. Role player adventures is like a game that I I worked on with uh, our James Ryan, who it was just a uh, project I always wanted to work on, and I just didn't have the I didn't have the right uh, people to help me with. And then James and I started working on it. And, and uh, you know, that was that game in particular, Role Player Adventures, is kind of like the I don't know, magnum opus in my mind. It was like the project that I always wanted to make. And it was like we started working on it. And, you know, it took us probably, I think it took three years to to make. And I just like kept having this thought like, I have to get this game out before I die. Like this has got to be it. Like <laughs> this will be my lasting legacy. Um, I, I obviously I did survive that long, and we're doing more stuff for the world of, uh, for the role player adventures line. So we have a Kickstarter coming out for that in November, actually, for the next uh, campaign for that game. So it's called Gulpex's Secret, which is uh, pretty exciting for me. But but to answer your question, most games that I work on designing, I, I will take to the to the end. But every once in a while. It just turns into like I'm just not happy with it, and then I don't like stop working on it because I get distracted by something else, which is probably common for other people. I just stop working on it because I I can't solve the problem, and I just decide, well, you know, we're just gonna put this in the in the failure category in on the shelf, and we'll just start working on something else. So, all right, well, that sounds good. But and you have a game on Kickstarter right now. I do. What it, you want to tell us so, about that game? Yeah, uh, Dawn of Ulos is the t- title that's uh, on Kickstarter right now. We launched on the sixth, right after Labor Day, 
And we, uh, Dawn of Ulos is in the world of role players. So I've kind of started building these lines of fantasy games with kind of role player being the, the initial uh, beginning of it. Just, just because like I like fantasy games and if we're going to do more fantasy games, they might as well be in the same world. That's, that's kind of like the, the philosophy. And uh, so this game, Dawn of Ulos, uh, takes place in this fantasy world the same as role player at like the beginning of the world and there's this this mirrored god dragon called Azima and she's kind of just created the world and Dawn of Ulos is a one to five player economic fantasy game where you play as a group of uh, one of many gods uh, and then you're trying to kind of impress the the super god Azima the dragon by earning her favor and what's happening is the world has just been created and there are these fantasy factions like orcs and satyrs and goblins that are kind of entering the world through these portals from other you know planar verses and they're kind of uh as a god you're kind of helping them along you know it's like oh you cute goblins you're great we're gonna put you pull you into the world and then you start kind of investing in them so you take these cards that are kind of like stocks in those uh factions and part of the game is you're placing these tiles onto the board to, to kind of terraform different sections of the board like the goblins like forests and the more the more of their ter- territory that has forests they get stronger and stronger which kind of makes your kind of investments in them more valuable over time so it's it's a stock game where you're getting stocks in these different fantasy factions as they're growing you're manipulating them and at some point they will they will uh connect on the board and then they go into conflict and everybody at the table is playing cards they're they're kind of playing their stocks to try to increase the power of the different factions that are in conflict and uh you know you reveal and whoever has the highest strength at the end of the conflict is the winner and the losers get wiped off the map and the winners take over all their land so then the kind of the value of the cars that you have in the different factions adjusts accordingly um and then that those factions that get, get removed from the board they become lost they can come back onto the board as well later in the game um, so that uh, if you have cards in that faction, then you know you can hold on to them if you want to, and hope they come out again and and kind of build them back up. So you're kind of playing the stock market game with this kind of uh, cool fantasy coat of paint on it, and uh, it, it takes uh, maybe an hour and a half. Plays one to five players. You know, kind of every Thunderworks game plays down to one. That's like an important thing for for us over here. So. Yeah, it's it's really exciting, really cool. It's got these really neat miniatures that represent the camp markers for each one of the factions. And it's got the board is built out of six kind of puzzle pieces that you can mix and match however you want. There's 10 different factions in the game and you play with five at a time. So you can have a different configuration of factions that are playing, uh, that are in play. And uh, it's just a really good time. It sounds awesome. Like, yeah, it, it actually does. I mean, I, mean I, got, I was a day one backer, so. <laughs> Appreciate that for sure. Uh, yeah, so Don Avilos is a big deal. It's running. It's a three-week campaign, so there's probably a couple weeks left in it. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, it's, it doesn't play like many other games for sure. And I always, I love games that have any kind of unique feel to them. Like there's there's so many games out there that come out and, you know, a lot of them become kind of, there's, it's hard to find like the single thing that's really unique about it, um, and I feel like Donovan has, has a bunch of those things. So I think people like it's going to surprise some people when they first play it. But uh, uh, it's it's been a it's been a fun project to work on, and I think it turned out really good. I love how the role player universe, every game that's been released so far in it, is like this just completely different mechanical game. Right. All of them are really good, and all of them hold up very well on, your, on their own, and they don't need 
any of the others really to stand up on their own, but together they they just kind of fo- get together and form Voltron. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't know what else to say yeah. about it. It just makes me super excited to see how to explore this world in the next game. It, it's been fun to kind of expand the world as we play. I like the fact that they're also all unique games. I think that's important. So if like you know, obviously cartographers is our roll and write game. Well, there, you know, and we did Cartographer's Heroes and we're expanding that line, but like, I don't think I'll ever do like some other ro- you know, flip and write or roll and write game in the universe, right? Like, I'm never, uh, lockup is like a blind bidding kind of worker placement thing. It's, it's pretty, I think it's pretty unique in the, in the way it plays, but like, I'll never do a similar game like that in the, in the world. So everybody kind of, all these games get their own little kind of area of, of me- mechanical area to carve out and kind of stand on its own, you know? Well, and it's nice because with all of them having the different mechan- game mechanics, there's something for everyone right. in this universe, <laughs> yeah. which is really neat. Because then also, if you really like role player, but then you're going to go and play lockup at some point, you still also kind of, it's familiar to you right? Like a the, little bit. It's so that's like nice. the same style of graphic design. You know, a lot of the, the same illustrators are across all the the games, so they have a similar look. So I the part that I love is like the Easter eggs, right? So... Like if you've played all of these games, you can start seeing the connections between them. So, you know, some of the easy examples are like lockup takes place in Culbeck Prison. You can also play role player adventures, and then you get captured and placed in Culbeck Prison. You know, there's like there's in in, in role player adventures you get an item called a chisel uh, when you first enter the Culbeck Prison. And if you look at the lockup book board really closely, underneath one of the beds in the cell block, there's a tiny little piece you can see of the of the chisel so like there's all these uh fun kind of connections that like for people people don't need to know these things and it's not important but i just think they're fun and they're like fun easter eggs for people to discover um yeah well i think that's awesome actually didn't know realize well we're not that far into role player adventures yet so i did not realize the piece about the chisel so that's cool the chisel one people that's (laughs) a pretty small one and actually you can't see it very well on the three to five player side of the board. You can see it better on the one to two player side of the board. But there's there's other cool stuff like that. Um, you, there's you know there's a there's a card card in Cartographers that has a that has like a tavern called the Gold. I forget what I'm losing I'm losing it a little bit, but like it's called the Gold. I think it's called the Golden Axe or something like that. And then there's a card that's called that in Role Player Adventures that you can find as well. So there's there. Uh, I mean, the thing that's nice about the role player adventure series is that we can build, there's a lot more space to build the narrative and kind of build these things. But um, we try to kind of squeak them into the other games as well. So, you know, one of the, one of the cards in Cartographer's Heroes that's called uh, Wildwood, I think I may have a second word, but it's called Wildwood something, which is actually the name of the city that you start the first adventure in the new campaign uh, for role player adventures. So yeah, we, I, I like that kind of stuff. Uh, we used to, you know, I like that stuff when back when I worked on video games and played. I mean, I still play a lot of video games, but when I played, uh, worked on video games, and I don't know, Easter eggs are fun. <laughs> Easter eggs are a lot of fun, and it's really cool to see that come come together in this universe yeah. uh, of games. It's, it, I think, it's going to make. Hopefully, I mean, it makes me more excited now to collect them all. I gotta have to have, <laughs> to have them all and start looking for more of those little Easter eggs. Where, what else does he have hidden somewhere? <laughs> If you know about the hidden Easter eggs, you can always let us know on our social media or over on our Discord server. Just find out all the information on whiskodice.com. In the meantime, I did want to ask about other games. Sure. I mean, you've given us 
we didn't start off and let you know we are actually here at Thunderworks, the uh, HQ, the the great and epic warehouse that it is, <laughs> and and we got the tour as we got here, which was awesome. It's yeah, there's all of the standard stuff, game tables, and we're sitting, you know, the the, the quality quality equipment like the pizza oven and the microwave and all the stuff that we have in our own game room. Critical, it's right here. Yeah, right? Critical. It's critical, critical hardware. <laughs> yeah. Coffee, pizza. Got it. That's the secret sauce to the game design if you didn't know. <laughs> what other games are you, you working on? Or maybe we you, you mentioned there's a sequel to role-player adventures sure. coming. Or, uh, so let's just talk about some of the, the newer things that have come out from Thunderworks. So obviously we've got the, the role-player line, and we're building more things in that series. But we have also have games outside of that. So earlier this year we released a game called Tenpenny Parks from a designer out of uh, Chicago. And that's like a, a beautiful game and, and really... Uh, colorful and all about building uh, theme parks. And that's been a real big hit for us this year and is doing really, really well. And last year we did a game about um, Cape May, New Jersey called Cape May. It's great. It's a great name. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, uh, those are some things that we've done recently. And then also we released three new map packs for cartographers, map packs four, five, and six uh, in G- June, July, and August of this summer. Things coming new, obviously, uh, Dawn of Ulos is on Kickstarter right now. And then, uh, as I mentioned, the next campaign for role-player adventures goes live on Kickstarter November 1st, and that will also be a three-week campaign, and we'll be, we'll be done before the, before the uh, Thanksgiving week, and then, and then we're pretty much, you know, then, then we're in production mode. We're, we're building stuff. Uh, we have a, a new title that's coming straight to retail, so about, I don't know, I'd say about a third, maybe, maybe 40% of our titles, 30 I don't know, somewhere around that. I would say about a third of our titles go straight to retail, and then the other ones go through Kickstarter. Uh, we have a small card game that I designed uh, with a friend of mine named Jay- named Eric Schlotman called Goblin Vaults, which is in the role-player universe. Once you get to uh, that adventure and role-player adventures in which you're trapped in Kullbeck, you'll find goblins playing various uh, games in the... Uh, in the cell block and uh, one of them is called Goblin Vault so I was like well let's make a game about the game so um, I worked on this uh, card game I mean it's, it's in the same box size as Cartographer so it's a, a smaller game but it's a, a card what kind of game would I would say you, you're basically you're doing some uh, you're, you've got there's goals out that are in front of you you're building a, a vault of, of cards in front of you in a, a four by three kind of grid and you are basically bidding on cards that are in the the offer which we call the block and it's got some uh interesting mechanics to it that i haven't seen in other games before in terms of like you're you're bidding things and you're trying to sometimes you're intentionally underbidding people because you want certain cards but it you're basically kind of forming this grouping of cards in front of you and trying to uh, every single card scores in like three different ways so and the the scoring cards that are available there's a there's a bunch of them available and you can uh, so it mixes up the gameplay between between plays. So um that is a new one coming. I'm thinking it's going to come out in March and that is called Goblin Vaults. And then I mean <laughs> let's give away all my secrets. Um we're we're planning on doing a, another Kickstarter uh in February for a cyberpunk themed game called Metro Runner. Uh, that's from a, lo- a local designer here in Madison, actually named Stephen Kerr, uh, who also does a handful of graphic design stuff for me too. So super good guy, really good game. We, it's interesting. We, I started playing Metro Runner probably 
three years ago. There's a local store here in town called I'm Board Games and Family Fun. Shout out to Brian Winter and, and the crew. And every Thursday we would have playtesting. I would I would just go over there at noon and, and people would show up and we just play test each other's games. And this was one of the games that, that was there. And I must I must have play tested and worked with Steven on this game. I don't know. I've probably played this game 150 times easy. And uh, we, we make changes. And eventually I was like, I really love this game now. Like I should, I want to publish this. So it's been kind of a long time coming and uh, I'm excited for us to finally kind of bring it to the the audience. So the Kickstarter is tentatively planned for February. That's, it's interesting. I haven't run a Kickstarter in over a year. The last one was for the lockup expansion. Now I'm kind of doing three, uh, you know, pretty close together. So you know, so I, I kind of think of it as like inhale and exhale years, you know, like I'm inhaling, I'm doing all these, I'm doing a bunch of Kickstarters and then I spend all this time delivering all those Kickstarters and then we kind of start that cycle over again. But, uh, and some of the, some of kind of the increased activity uh, at Thunderworks is the result of we hired a third person this year. So we can do a lot more stuff now that before we were at two people and now we're at three people and now we can do uh, a lot more stuff. Uh, I can kind of offload a lot of the work to uh, the third member who is uh, Kirk Dennison, who used to run Peacekeeper games out of Ma- out of Madison as well. So we teamed up together to kind of push Thunderworks further. And, and that's this is kind of the results of, of those efforts. Well, that sounds awesome. Those all sound really cool. And it's going to be hard on our wallets, but uh, <laughs> we're excited to see all those games come to market. Yeah. So we, we talked a little bit about Donovolos, uh, and obviously I, I think that game is absolutely brilliant. And if you're listening to this, you should be clicking on the back now link right <laughs> off of our, you know, you can find the link and all the information on wiscodice.com and how you can back this game uh, right with the episode release uh, notes for this. But I just very much recommend you you're back it, get it now. Um, when, when you become a backer when are you targeting or do you have an idea when people are going to be able to get a physical copy of the game yeah we're saying july of next year i mean when it comes to creating these estimates you know there's a lot of kickstarter projects that end up delivering uh late uh, thunderworks we try to be pretty conservative you know we're, we're like a under promise over deliver kind of mentality so we're currently saying july um you know if it comes in early great um, but the the based on our current estimates, I don't think it's going to go past that. I think uh, Thunderworks has had a pretty good track record for delivering stuff on time, and so the plan is to have it for you know the backers get it in July, and then we'll have it available for sale uh, in person at Gen Con next year. Oh, very nice. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love seeing the you know your games at Gen Con and your booth and everything there. That's always fun. It's great to see them there, but. Is there anything else you want to tell us about this uh, Dawn of Ulus game that's coming out that we haven't covered yet? I don't think so. I th- it's uh, it's a great looking game. It's up on Kickstarter right now. I think you should back it. I would. And uh, <laughs> as I said, it's uh, it's a great game. One to five players. You know, it's got a nice broad range of, of player counts. You know, it's got a lot of variability and it's got a lot of surprises. Actually, I think there's the thing that I like most about Dawn of Ulus is that there's these really dynamic moments in which like. You know, there's a lot of tension. Everybody's trying to resolve this conflict, and you don't know how many cards people are playing. People have the opportunity to do a little bluffing as well, which kind of adds a little fun to the process. And then at the result of that, no matter what it is, it's going to be a pretty dynamic change. Like the, the board state changes significantly. The value of the cards in your hands, you know, you're making decisions about what cards you want to hold on to and which ones you want to let go and kind of cash in. 
there's these like you know two three moments in the throughout the course of the game where these like really kind of fun and dynamic moments happen and and those those are my favorite parts of that game sounds great all right so make sure that you if you want to back this game you can head over to kickstarter right now and back it if you're like me and can't figure out how to search kickstarter very well okay i do it on a weekly basis i don't expect everybody else to you can go ahead and just come to whiskodice.com look for the uh, link in the show notes for this episode as well as a link to thunderworks games and all of the information you need to get this game and all the other games in the role player universe as well as all the other games we've talked about that are available for sale will be available right off those links in our on our show on our website for sure great yeah that sounds awesome all right is there anything else that you wanted to let us know keith before no, we I wrap that's up it. thanks for having me on Oh, that was Thank awesome. You. We really appreciate you hosting and, and having us out here. We Thank you so much. And with that, we're going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we'll catch up with the rest of our Gen Con re- recap. All right. That was an amazing interview. I just got to say big thanks and shout out to Keith and everyone at Thunderworks Games. I really hope you've had a chance to back that game by now. If I haven't haven't told you enough to back the game, back the game because it is amazing. All right, let's dive into our main topic though. Let's start with Gen Con 2022. Myself and Suzanne, we were both there in person. Uh, it was great. Uh, it was a, I had a blast this year. Uh, it was definitely larger than it was in 21 uh, as far as head count. I think there's like tw- about 15, 20,000 more people there. Uh, it definitely had, it, it had all of the sprawled out of that Gen Cons of 60, 70, 80, 100,000, whatever the full sold out Gen Cons were. I mean, stuff was everywhere. But since it was only about 50,000 or whatever attendees, there was definitely a little bit more room in some of the areas, a little more spacious to, to walk around, not, not quite as much getting clobbered by the giant backpacks. I mean, uh, boardgametables.com, board game bags, because that is new, the new terror now in the exhibition hall is the board game tables, board game bags, because somehow you had to find a bigger backpack. Sooner or later, somebody's going to come out with an even bigger bag. That's going to be like people are going to be walking around all hunched over in the in the exhibition hall uh, with these giant bags. But anyways, rant aside, we got there on Wednesday of the con and we were there for all four days. It seems to be a tradition now that Suzanne and I run down to Georgia Street for the tapping party on Wednesday night, grab the new release beer, which happened to be Dragon's Delight, which was a previous year's like. I don't know, five, six years ago, beer was actually fairly popular and was pretty good. From That's from Sun King Brewery, which was absolutely amazing. But then second year now, I think in a row, that I found the, the lobster roll truck on the first night and grabbed a lobster roll. Absolutely delicious. Not, maybe not quite as good as the lobster rolls I had in Boston, but absolutely delicious. Loved it. I think that's my, it might be starting to become my new Gen Con tradition for Wednesdays is going grabbing a lobster roll and a, whatever the new beer release is for the year yeah that's i mean it's definitely a lot of fun it's a great way to kick off the long convention weekend too with doing that i don't have a set uh 
food yet that I want to get every Wednesday. I just want to try whatever looks good and has a shorter line because I'm usually pretty hungry by then. So whichever one's moving the quickest, that's where I'll be. And with the, it's great last year and this year also with the Sun King Brewery, you can buy a four pack to go of the beer. So you can easily take it home, put it, or we actually put it in the hotel room. So other days when we didn't want to go down there, uh, we had something, you know, delightful, some Dragon's Delight to drink in the hotel room with us, which was nice. So yeah, you got to try nice. the new wine too that they had this yes. year. Yes, but you actually you were brave too, and you tried it. Uh, Conzi's not that a is huge true. It was wine good. drinker. Yeah, so Daniel's Vineyard was there, and they had some different canned wines to taste. And the one that they did was uh, Dragon Dew. We have a, we have the special bottle too, and they also did a can of Dragon's Dew, which was I think one of the was there white wine that was supposed to be special. I think. I was surprised it tastes just like Mountain Dew with some alcohol in it, some wine, a whiny version of uh, Mountain Dew. But it's <laughs> very, it was, they were, the wines that we had were very refreshing from them. Um, and was, you know, you don't always want beer, I guess. So, but moving on from the tapping party, we did play several different uh, demo games and other games that we had tickets for. And got to meet some great people there. One of the games that we played was uh, Lockup, the breakout expansion version of it by Thunderworks Games. Uh, Lockup is a game Conzi really likes that we own. I am not as much of a fan, but we did not try the breakout expansion yet. And so I thought, hey, this would be a good opportunity for him to try it and for me also to try it. So the base game with Lockup has a blind bidding mechanic, which is not my favorite way to play a game with bidding. But with this expansion, you have another track on there where you're digging your way out of this prison. Uh, so this added this really nice different element and different focus uh, for the, the, the players if you wanted to. And it Mitigated, I found that it was mitigating some of the, the bidding stress for me, some of that anxiety about what do I pick, how much, what number do I put there. It just causes me some game anxiety. And yes, it's a game. I shouldn't get that anxious about it, but I do. So the game was so much more enjoyable for me with this expansion. And I also want to put a shout out to Nathan, who was demoing the game for us. Did an excellent job of teaching and keeping us engaged as we were playing it and keeping us all on track. We played a five-player game of it, uh, which is a lot of <laughs> different people doing different things and bidding. And there was some gotcha with corruption cubes. I won't name who was uh, the one that was continually feeding her corruption cubes to uh, another opponent. But hey, that was fun too. So. <laughs> I, I will say, looking back on this game, Lockup is definitely a game that's better with a three to five player count. And adding the breakout expansion, if you add that in, I'll play this game with just about anyone anytime. So, you know, Konzi, what did you think about our experience with Breakout? I actually really enjoy Lockup as a base game. So, I was a little disappointed when the Kickstarter for the Breakout expansion came out like a year ago, 
and we talked about it and you were kind of like, no, nah, I don't think it's something we should back. And so we didn't back it. And <laughs> yeah, my <Oops>. bad. <laughs> so here it is. And like, I was then surprised when you got a ticket for this and we sat down and played and yeah, it was absolutely a blast. And the you really maximized the uh, of all five players at the table. You really ex- maximized, I think, uh, taking advantage of a lot of the new expansion components and really working on that expansion board to the point that you actually shafted me a few uh, moves that I needed to be able to advance <laughs> a little further on it. But it was it was great. The gameplay was great. The experience was great. I, I really think it added a lot to the game without like you could I think you could ignore the expansion board and still do really good. If you just played kind of the focused on the base lockup game uh, with the expansion components, it was still really good for the people that were playing the game. But the if you but you could also then really hone in and focus in on some of the expansion content and uh take the game you know and also still be competitive in the game so it was it was a really nice mix you can kind of do both strategies i think and, and play well which is a a really good thing for an expansion and uh, a must i think this is uh maybe not a must add to lock up but certainly a thing uh something that if you like lock up a lot and you play it quite often that you definitely should look at adding to your copy or if you play lock, like lockup and your game partner is not a fan of bidding at it and they should like, you know, might like lockup then too. So it's just what uh, I have to say. There is that too. <laughs> All right. So another game that uh, we had as a ticketed demo was fall of the mountain King, uh, which, um, I think Justin, do you did you have do you have a copy of the uh, was it the Hall of the in the Hall of the Mountain King or whatever the original the the first game Burnt Island Games did? No, I I think I have something with a very similar theme, but it's a a, a different game. Yeah, I don't I don't have Hall of the Mountain Gosh, King. Though. I can't remember who I I remember playing in the Hall of the Mountain King. Um, I just don't remember whose copy it was. Anyways. Uh, this is the sequel slash prequel game to In the Hall of the Mountain King. And in the Fall of the Mountain King, uh, you're, I would say it is a territory control, territory dominance game where the game itself is kicking everybody's teeth in. So it's clearly the fall of Mount King. So you're playing as a troll tribe, and uh, as, as a kind of a leader of a of, of various troll factions or whatever, I guess. Every and all the players are the gnomes are invading, and so you're fighting for honor to fend off these gnomes from doing what their dastardly things are going to do. But eventually, you're going to fight wave after wave after wave of no of gnomes, and I did that three times on purpose because you're going to fight three waves, uh, and whoever has the most, who has accumulated the most honor from defending things, uh, defending the 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 halls and the, the the caverns from the gnome invasion, is ultimately going to be the winner. But these gnomes, they just keep coming, the little pricks, and. And so you feel this like impending. They start just closing in and starting taking, they start taking tunnels and it's like, 
once two gnome tokens get out of territory, it gets really hard to push them off. And so you almost just kind of write that territory off as lost. And and so it's super thematic and super plays and one of the best territory control games I think I've ever played. Because you really never lose any of your dudes. You're really not... Like, there's not a lot of one-upsmanship or, like, trying... You, you're not directly attacking each other because you're all on the same side against these against these gnomes. But you are def. There is definitely a factor of, hey, I want to have more of my trolls, maybe in this cavern or in this color set of colored caverns or whatever, than my opponent. So there's a lot of a lot of push, and there's a little bit of take that and whatnot. So really loved it. Sunday when we were running around doing our last final shopping, we walked up to the the booth, and with a little pushing and shoving and some aggressive like grabbing one of the people that are busy talking to other people who were interested in products we bought the last copy the very last copy they had for sale and we were like suzanne was like getting a little extra aggressive with them like (laughs) stop talking to these people i want before somebody else buys that last copy i need that i need it i needs it she controlled her territory better than they did he did You know, I felt kind of bad because uh, the people I interrupted were, you know, it was a family with two younger children <laughs> that wanted to play, like, wanted to demo a family-friendly game. But it was good. there was some other people there just sitting behind the booth, just kind of ignoring us. And that was, you know, they wanted the <laughs> game. We got the game. Enough said. That's all that matters. And it's since gotten to the table again, so it's... A couple of times since uh, the convention, so definitely says something, and we're really excited about this game. Very possibly, I still have some copies of games I haven't played yet, but very possibly my favorite game from Gen Con. I would say it's probably up there for me also. And it's just, it's got a lot going on, but there's there's just a lot of interacting with your opponents during the game and a lot of talking that you're doing and you're just really focused on the game the whole time really not just sitting there doing nothing i i found so it was yeah it's definitely a good game it was that one game that you can't buy a retail copy that we had a ticketed event for and i'm jumping off script here uh perdition's mouth abyssal rift that game wasn't a release at gen con this year it had apparently has been out for a little while. Like the only way you, I, I think, I think you might be able to get this directly from them, but like the only place we could find in the U.S. that was selling is I think you found a copy on Amazon who was selling indirectly through Target or some yeah, some goofy Noble craziness. I found it at Noble Night yesterday. Oh, you should have just bought it. <laughs> uh, yes, but, that but also was, Target. That I was had found blast. it on Target. So that was an absolute, absolute blast. We love that as well. But I, I try not to make online purchases at like in the middle of the night. And that un and that unplanned diversion was Perdition's Mouth Abyssal Rift from Dragon Dawn Productions, uh, which is kind of a dungeon crawler game that doesn't really reward you for killing the monsters so much as it does for completing the mission objective so you can advance and uncover what the next part of the story is. Okay, so 
Um, let's take a look at a few of the games we thought that might be worth checking out uh, at the show. From These are the games that we covered in our preview show uh, back in episode 95, so you could go back and catch all of those games. We're going to just touch on a few of them that we caught at the show um, or that we are still really interested in. And let's kick this off with you, Suzanne. What What's your first game here that you really wanted to talk about? Well, I will say, before I get into that, that we, it was a fun scavenger hunt trying to find all these games that we had talked about at the, base, um, the preview show. Some of them we weren't able to get good peeks at, so there may be some really great ones on our preview list that you guys were like, oh, that's going to be so cool. Why didn't you put it on here? I just may have not been able to get close enough to it. So, but one game we got right up and personal with uh, was Steam Up, A Feast of Dim Sum. And this, I just, I couldn't pass up doing a demo of this game. This was a Kickstarter that I was interested in, uh, but didn't back for various reasons. And really kind of felt uh, lack of backers remorse. I don't know what the correct term would be. Uh, but Hot Banana Games put this out, and the booth was really cute how they did it up. Uh, they had all these little stations with people playing the game. Uh, it was a fun demo. We got to see and touch the components that come in deluxe game. They're nice and squishy, and um, for the little the dim sum pieces, and uh, the baskets, the steamer baskets, were, you know, they had a nice texture on them. So they're very tactile components that you can play with during the game. The game itself had just a nice presentation and table presence. It looked like you were like your your child had invited you for instead of a tea party, a dim sum party. And you have these little cute things there. So even if you have a kid that can't play the game, I'm sure they'd have fun, you know, playing dim sum with you. So that was Probably the game that I saw in the vendor hall and we did a demo of that I was the most excited about and I am super anxious. We did I did of course go online and back it as a late pledge. I just wanted to come now so I can play it and I can play with all the little squishy dim sum pieces. I will say they they had probably the most well honed demo in demo pitch. Like they had what I think three people doing their mm-hmm. this little demo and it was very programmed and if you asked questions that were off script they the demoers might struggle a little bit right we caught them we caught our demoer a couple of times and we asked a couple of questions <laughs> she's like no no you just go back it or whatever right <laughs> but uh just go lay back it uh but uh it was Bing, 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 five minutes, you got the whole presence of the game, and yeah, you backed it, and we walked away, and now we're just waiting for a copy to show up. Yes, and if you're like me, you try and ask them questions to put them off script, I guess, so. Yep. It was it was a fun little game for me within the game. So, but <laughs> what did you see? <laughs> One of the games that I was very high on and very excited to check out was Northgard Uncharted Lands from Shiro Games. Uh, this is that 4X Viking game. I guess it's apparently based off a video game. I think, Justin, you pointed out when we were talking about it in the preview show. I looked at the game while it was being demoed in the booth. 
Yeah, I really disliked the art and graphic design of the game. I didn't like any of the components. Really, just they just all turned me really off just from a visual appearance. And I wasn't sure of it when I looked at the pictures online, but seeing it in person definitely pushed that over the edge. And you know, that's a personal thing, though. I I can't I can't say that everybody's going to say that. I mean, I'd put money that there's probably some you know they some people just absolutely love the way this game looks. I'm sure there are tons of people because I'm sure the graphic design comes from the video game more than uh, anything these people in the board game side of it had any choice over. More power to you if you like that design. It wasn't for me. Uh, anyways, we we couldn't help but also notice uh, as we went through and made our Sunday last minute purchases that there was a large stack of the of copies of this game still sitting there. Now, I don't know how many copies Shiro brought to the convention, but considering the demos were always full of people, I would have thought that they would have either been sold out by the end of the convention or pretty darn close to it. And instead, there was just a, a, a massive stack of them still sitting there. So, I mean, take, take from that what, it, what you will. Um, I don't know that you know if you t- if based on my initial impressions i don't know that this is the game that you should run out and buy right off the bat but that said i didn't actually get a chance to play the game there could be a really brilliant game underneath this this next game was one i think we all had on our lists for our gen con preview and that's circadian's chaos order from yeah. garfield games obviously i didn't attend uh the show that I wasn't at Gen Con this year, so I've you know kind of just been keeping track of these things on my own a little bit, and this one's definitely high on my list to watch. I I did not back the Kickstarter for this. I was pretty excited when I when it was announced, and when I learned a little bit more about the game, that it is very combat focused, area control. That is a kind of game I generally don't like too much uh, and don't play very much. That's pretty much the reason I didn't back it, but I'm still kind of interested in, in you know, what, what it's going to be like. I think there's Euro elements to it, but it's definitely, you know, very high player interaction conflict kind of thing. So, you know, I, I wasn't sure. I, I don't know if it'd be something I'd want to buy. But recently I found that there is this YouTube video put out by Shim Phillips, who is one of the uh, uh, designers for Garfield Games, owner potentially. And he is the designer of Architects of the West Kingdom and that whole series, which I really enjoy. And the whole point of his video was, will a Euro gamer like Circadian's Chaos Order? which pretty much is exactly the question I wanted answered for this game. And he was very frank and very honest uh, in this video. He basically starts the video saying, I don't, I didn't like this game. It's not my kind of game. I'm a Euro gamer. I like, I like solitaire multiplayer, you know, type of games. And he says it at first, his first couple plays, he didn't like it. it. It wasn't his design. It's, it's a Sam Phillips design game. But then Shim kind of explains, like, you know, after I played it some more, uh, I did, when I, when I started to learn the mechanisms and started to understand the game, it, what, it is a good game. It's just not a game that he liked. But then as he played, he, he found it. He really started to enjoy it. So that gave me a little bit of a, a hope that it might be 
something I would enjoy. I I, I like the previous game, Circadian's first uh, light, and you know, I'd like to to check out the next one. And I also just think it's really cool that a publisher would kind of just give a frank opinion of, hey, you know, this might not be the game for you if you're a Eurogamer, but here's here's some reasons why it might be. So I, if you're if you're like me and you are more of a Eurogamer and you like Garfield's stuff, you know, maybe go check out this video and see if this would be something you're interested in still. Or if you're like Suzanne and like violence and attacky games, you should just go oh, check it out right she'll now. Oh, love it, yeah. I, I'm sure <laughs> this will be a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready for this one to come out or for me to get it. So, yep. I, I can't remember. Was it out, sold out of the booth by the time we got there or was it just not for sale? I can't remember. Uh, it was not for sale, I believe. Yeah, I can't I think remember. We could even, I don't think we could see a demo of it. Even yeah, I think I'm, it was behind glass. Maybe. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I was it definitely really... wasn't available by the time we showed up. It was definitely not available for sale. And I don't. Yeah, it was. I, I think it was just the only copy I think that was sitting there was the one in the glass case. Yeah, which was you know was a little bit of a bummer with, but it happens. I really wanted to see it in action. Let's have to buy it. <laughs> Add it to the collection. Yep. Or, or Justin needs to buy it, and then we'll go over and play it. <laughs> then we'll end up buying it anyway. Or if you're Garfield Games and wanted to send us a copy for free because we talked so highly about your game, we were happy <laughs> to accept that. Please send me a, a message via our contacts page, and I'll be more than happy to let you know where to ship that game to. Yeah, uh, it, it might not be my type of game, but I will try any Garfield game. Like they're They're like a always try it kind of publisher for me at this point almost okay. always super high quality stuff so we love your stuff Garfield. <laughs> <laughs> that we do so we also really enjoy board and dice games here um yes board and dice <laughs> especially cozy <laughs> don't listen to this review of this game just send us a copy we'll review it and, and tell you tell all our fans about how awesome this game is okay <laughs> you can go ahead Suzanne. <laughs> so I was so because we really enjoy the board and dice games. I was very excited to check out Terracotta Army at uh, Gen Con. We weren't able to actually get a demo of it. It was there was just so many people around there, but I was able to observe other people playing with it, playing the game. You know, as they were finishing up, I talked with them a little bit, what they thought about it, because uh, I was kind of wasn't what I expected when I saw it in person. You know, and but and so I was talking with these people and they were like, you know, it was good. They play it. They weren't going to buy it, which was good because it was sold out already. They liked it, but they weren't blown away with it. So I took a closer look at some of the components and they were decent sculpts. It just didn't grab my attention as much as other board and dice game components do. So I may just have too high of expectations. The game itself is still very intriguing to me, so I do want to play it at some point. And I have this, you know, wonderful husband who loves to paint miniatures, so maybe he would just paint up the components, you know, for me, and then my Terracotta Army would have, you know, have a little bit more personality. But yeah, Terracotta Army was not a disappointment it was just not as grand as i was expecting it to be 
So I don't know. I don't remember, Ben or Conzi, if you took a look at this or if you were very focused on getting the other T, the actual T games, talking with oh. them about that at the time. I don't know. It's been really hard, I think, for me to locate new the newer releases from Board and Dice here in the U.S. Uh, from any of my favorite retailers, and I don't know what's changed from them in distribution to the U.S. But uh, like Board Game Bliss out of Canada, I could get their games. But like going to Noble Knight or Misty Mountain, the newer releases haven't. They're just not available. So beat them up a little bit about that in the booth, and then. Uh, of course, I dropped a lot of money there, too, but I, I did kick myself a little bit because we stopped by the booth on Thursday of the convention, like Thursday afternoon, and there were still copies. I think there's a, still a pretty hefty stack there, if I remember, of Terracotta Army, and like, uh, I'm just not sure if I want to buy a copy. I wasn't blown away by the look or the theme of this one compared to a lot of the other games from Board and Dice, but... Then when it was sold out, of course, my acquisition disorder was like, why didn't I buy it? (laughs) They also didn't have uh, any copies for sale or even a a demo copy or a preview copy of the new expansion for the Golden Age. That one. I cannot say that the name of the game, but the Golden Age, which is the expansion to it, which is just a bunch of modules to that they didn't have any copies and i know that was something we brought up in the preview was that we were excited they say that was on the list that should have been at the show so unfortunate hopefully uh we'll be able to get a copy of that soon as well as a copy copy of terracotta army somehow and again board and dice if you just want to send that to us we'll be happy to play it we won't complain at all we'll give you a glowing review it'll be perfect okay what else do we got justin yeah, so another one I've been keeping an eye on is uh, Starship Captains. This was a game I think you had your, on your list that I missed. And it is a, looks to be a, a Euro style, maybe Star Trek simulator kind of game. A lot of the theming and art is using the Star Trek themes. The boards look a little bit, the player boards look a little bit like the shape of the Enterprise and things like that. Looked really cool and sounded really cool when you talked about it on our preview episode. My feelings have changed maybe a little bit on this one. I read a little bit more about it. I watched some videos, watched some gameplay, and it just looks like it's maybe a kind of light comedic game and not kind of a little more involved Euro that I would be looking for. You know, the comedy isn't necessarily an issue. I think there's there's plenty to do, you know, in that sci-fi space when you're trying to be like Star Trek. Like, I'm sure there's some aspect of, uh, you know, sending your red shirts to their doom or something like that. But, uh, yeah, I, I got the impression that it's just a, a lighter game. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm cautiously optimistic that it's still cool, but I might have to try it on tabletop simulator something else first yeah i i did get a good look at the game itself components uh just a real brief like half pay attention to a teach for just a few minutes at the at the show it again it did not blow me away with the visuals i don't care for the art on this one again 
Um, but I'm still really intrigued. This one just has me intrigued because I've, I think there's something potentially there with the way it deals with like the away missions and you kind of have this circular disc and the order of the order in which you have like all of your different crew or different colors and uh, represent different roles and responsibilities on the ship and you can and you're able to send them on away missions, but you're only able to send certain ones based on the order they're lined up when they get returned, when they come back into the ship. And so if certain away missions might need, like it would be really easy to accomplish if you had your yellow crew member available to go on, but if they're not lined up right to be able to go on it, you might end up failing that mission instead. Like it's really interesting. I'm really I'm really intrigued. I'm really hoping that the gameplay ends up being better at the table. And if it's not like there is a sweetness to be said. Like I love really crunchy games, but there is a sweetness, uh particularly on game nights with uh when you have to do a teach and you're trying to get a game in in an hour and a half or so so people can catch the game and then get home at a reasonable time that this is a great fit for that would potentially see a lot of table time. So I'm really hopeful still for it. It'll, it'll probably be a little bit, a little bit before I actually have a copy of it to be able to really give it a test. That is a good point. There's certainly a place for lighter or midweight Euro games. I think just the impression that I initially got was that it would be a little more involved and I'm certainly willing to give it a chance. I love this concept. The theme is awesome. The boards look cool. The The mechanics do look interesting. Like the, the cue of your, of your crew crewmates kind of cycling around. I like that idea. So I'll definitely give it a chance. I'm hopeful as well. <laughs> the next game I wanted to talk about is the stifling dark from sophisticated Cerberus games. Suzanne and I was able to snag a really brief look at the game. The booth was super busy. Um, effectively, this is a hidden movement game uh, where uh, one player is... I, I can't remember what they called it, uh, but it's basically... Uh, the game is themed over like uh, your classic 80s horror movies. And so the the base game is like uh like a like a campground and you're the hidden movement dude is like the the murder kind of dude. I can, they they don't use that use the term, but it, it's supposed to hit kind of just like the game itself is supposed to make the make you feel and kind of give that that horror movie. And then they have a couple of uh, apparently you can flip the board and they're different missions and whatnot. Uh, for it, so there's a, a, a a number of things, but this this game was not available for sale. I'll, I'll note, which is why definitely we didn't come home with a copy of it. But the the cool thing is that if you're not the bad guy and you're one of the victims, or I mean other players, they have this really cool flashlight that your that your character is able to wave around in front of them. Depending on where the the villain has moved, they might have left some evidence or whatnot. And if you flash your flashlight over it, the villain has to tell you. And that's kind of how you start putting together enough clues. And if you get enough clues or whatever, you might be able to get out and survive and go tell the authorities or whatever the case might be for whatever the mission objective is. 
It looks like a really cool game. And the best part about this one is we have an amazing interview with the sophisticated Cerberus Games crew coming in the next episode, which is going to be out next week. So make sure you stay tuned for that to get a whole lot more and a better description of what this game's about right from the designers themselves. I got to ask you guys, you came home with your big haul from Gen Con, and out of all those games, which are the ones that are really seeing the most action? What What's hitting your table? What are you, what, you know, which so far have truly earned their place in your collection? So I will say that it's kind of a surprise, the game that we have played five times now, or I've played five, five times, actually. It's called The Spill, and huh. it's and says it feels very pandemic-like for him. You're basically on this oil rig that has a leak or has an oil spill, and you are trying to contain the spill, as well as save sea life, the marine life that's over there. So it's a cooperative game. No matter how many people are playing it, you always have four specialists that are going around. It's got this dice tower in the middle that every time it's a, your turn, you're do- dropping oil um, in the form of dice down, and it's spreading out, and you got to figure out how to mitigate where it goes out. From I was not expecting to do at different levels uh, for how difficult it. You know, you can make it more difficult or easier, and I just want to figure out how to conquer every level and master cleaning up the oil spill. So. Um, <laughs> That is, I think, the game that we have that has seen the most play. And maybe you've got one that you that's a second runner-up for that one? Well, I would say the, the absolute seen the most use from Gen Con is the, the Night Cage from Smirk and Laughter Games coffee mug. That oh, yes, when you I guess. fill it up, it's black. <laughs> it's the mug itself is all black, and then when you put the hot coffee in it, it has like the Night Cage logo on it, and it has like a little candle. And as you drink your coffee, the things start going dark. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> Until your candle runs out, which is basically what happened because your coffee ran out too. So I guess that's a one-player game. That's a solo game that Ben plays every morning <laughs> with drinking his coffee. <laughs> it would also, yes, it, it, yeah, I, that coffee mug is just too cool. Um, yes. But uh, I'd also be, I, I, I think I need to mention, like, it was awesome stopping by the Gooey Cube uh, booth and and seeing Alphinius and. That guy remembers me from last year. The only time I've met him face to face, remembered me by name. Like I don't know how someone in in like a five minute meeting. I know we've messaged each other a lot on on Facebook over the last year, uh, but that guy like sharp, awesome. Needs to needs to wear a hat though. He just needs his hat. If you if you don't know anything about Phineas, he doesn't like hats. So it's a running joke that we're all talking about getting him to wear getting him to wear wear a hat. The Shadows in Genzacon Limited Adventure, which was available at the show, and I think might still be available on their online store. Uh, but if you don't get it now, it's I think it's they might re-release it, but it's not going to be as good. I don't know. Uh, anyways, it, it is a great Dungeons & Dragons 5e setting that's done by an amazing company. And if you haven't heard of Gooey Cube and you're into Dungeons & Dragons 5e and maybe you're looking to get a game going... 
uh, that's DM friendly. Go check out Gooey Cube. Um, they're just they're awesome too, and everyone over there is just I, I love them. They're, they're great. Well, I think that does it. It was a blast looking back at Gen Con and what we garnered about some of the games that we saw at the show. We absolutely are pumped for the new game from Thunderworks. Listen to our interview with Keith as we learn more about Dawn of Olus and how amazing that game is. Of course, there might be a few extra little tidbits about stuff coming in the future, if you, uh, but you have to listen to the interview to find out uh, all of those little things. Also, make sure you click the link in our show notes and back it today if you haven't already. I've given you plenty of opportunities to pause the show and you pause it one last time. It's okay. We'll wait just so you can go back to that game. All right. Finally, we caught up in the games we've been playing. That included Brazil, Imperial, and Boon Lake, which sound great. And we're looking forward to getting many more plays of those games in the future. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you leave a review of this show wherever your favorite place is to find podcasts. Oh, and by the way, give us a like on our Facebook page. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest while you're at it. If you haven't looked recently, make sure you catch up on the blog at wiscodice.com. Hey, Brian, what's that site? Ah, oh, darn. I forget. Uh, Justin, what's our website again? Wiscodice.com. That's right. It's wiscodice.com. And until next time, everyone, peace out.